Welcome to Abby and the Mustangs. This podcast connects Mustang lovers everywhere and sparks conversations in an effort to promote the adoptions of American Mustangs. I'm your host, Abby Condi. This episode is brought to you by Crossbow Equine Services. Kylie Bowen, owner, founder, and CEO of Crossbow Equine, is offering services to coach you in your equine business needs. As a trainer and equine entrepreneur herself, Kylie has the knowledge from learning through past mistakes as an early business owner and knows the equine industry from the inside out. Equine sales marketing, leveraging social media, and helping you develop your brand are just some of the things that she does best when it comes to serving you and your horses. For listeners of this podcast, Kylie is offering a free 15-minute consultation call. You can contact her by email at crossbowequinellc at aol.com. That's crossbowequinellc at aol.com with the subject line Mustang 20. To get in touch and book your free equine business consultation, email crossbowequinellc at aol.com. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Today is an interview episode, and I am so excited to get to have a conversation with Erica Hunter. Erica and her husband Shane are the co-founders of the American Competitive Mustang Club. In addition, Hunter Horsemanship is her horse training business, where she specializes in gentling and starting wild horses and burrows, as well as training solid trail horses. All right, so welcome to the show, Erica. So just to start off, can you just kind of tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, like how you initially got into horses and what eventually turned you on to the Mustangs? Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. And I have been into horses my whole life. I somehow got that horse gene, unlike everybody else in my family, and was just obsessed from a young age. And so, like, very young, my parents realized they were not going to get out of this, so they got me a horse. <laughs> and even even as young as, like, 14, 15, I was training horses, and I'd, I'd sell them to make money to save up for cattles and cars and show clothes and all that other stuff. So, from a young age, I was totally into training and just loved it and have never stopped. And then Mustangs I got into... Because it was kind of by accident. There was a competition called Mustang Million in 2013. And I didn't know anything about it. But a client of mine had said, hey, there's wild horses up in Norco. We should go look at them just to see how fun they would be. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds great. And long story short, we ended up taking two wild mustangs home, totally unprepared, and entering the biggest Mustang training competition of all time. So (laughs) (laughs) that's how I got into it. And it's been seven years, and I've never looked back. I've pushed every single of our horses from domestic to Mustangs now, and that's almost all I do is now Mustangs, and I absolutely love it. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. So before you kind of got into the Mustangs, was there like a specific discipline that you kind of focused on, or were you just kind of all around, did it all? 
yes, there was, and I'm slightly embarrassed now that I know so much more about horsemanship, but I was totally into Western Pleasure. That's all I did. I showed quarter horses and paints, Western Pleasure, and I did some, like, obstacle stuff, but not really a lot. Like, trail cross was always my favorite, but I didn't really realize there was a realm of horsemanship beyond that. Right. Open my eyes to like, oh my gosh, there's other ways to train and connect with your horse, and it's not like so unnatural, and it's not about just the bling and the silver. Like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, and I really found my place here. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it's so funny how so many people kind of tell me that when we talk about mustangs or in other horsemanship type things of people who have gone in that traditional horse world, whatever it may be, and are like. Yeah. So speaking of, you know, like the difference between the quarter horses that you rode and the Mustangs, I mean, there's a huge difference there. I mean, even from my experience, just working with quarter horses and Mustangs, but for you, what stands out as the biggest difference between the two horses? And obviously I can guess that you probably prefer the Mustangs, um, over the quarter horses, but why is that? Uh, there is a lot of reasons. I think the ones that stand out in my head are really, Mustangs are a lot smarter. And I always joke around, we still have two paint horses from showing days. And I love them so, so much. But their feet are terrible and they're really stupid. Like, they will <laughs> totally take care of people. But they're just not smart horses. Like, they stand in the sun and get sunburned. Like, if you're on trail, you have to tell them what to do all the time because they'll just stumble over logs. And those things really take care of you, and they form this bond that's, like, so deep with you. And I think that is probably what I, really draws me to them. Like, they try so hard as quarter horses and paints. They, they'll do their job, and they'll do a great job, and they'll be kind and loving, but they're not very smart, I don't think. <laughs> right. So, um, not only did you get into the Mustangs, but you also gentle burrows. So, what was your turning point into getting into them as well? Uh, burrows, I actually, I had a donkey growing up, and he was really fun, and we rode him around. Um, and then I got into just the chip program, lots of people were asking for the burrows, and I didn't really know much about burrows at first, so I... I gentle a few, but I wasn't really into them. But honestly, when we moved to Arizona, we adopted one personally for us. Uh, her name is Dixie, and she has been so funny and so smart and so clever and absolutely turning around to the way Burroughs kind of think and how you interact with them and ask them to do things. And now I absolutely love Burroughs, like, <laughs> so much. Like, they are so smart, and you can't make them do anything. It has to be their idea, so kind of once you can unlock them they're really cool so i i just think they're so fun and so like loving and they're like big dogs like our burrows come up on our deck all the time to hang out with us (laughs) yeah it was kind of by accident of just like oh whatever we live in arizona we might as well have a burrow totally totally taught me everything about it so oh my gosh interacting interacting with the really friendly one i guess is 
Yeah, and a lot of people, too, don't seem to understand that burrows aren't just, you know, stubborn because they want to be stubborn, you know. We have to really figure out how to speak their language because they're a totally different animal than a horse. I mean, I could not, if someone brought me a burrow, I would not know the first thing to do with it. Like, I have totally no burrow experience, so I don't know anything about them, but I do know that there has to be so much more to them than just, you know, a burrow standing there who's stubborn, he doesn't want to move. Because I've seen them do some am- amazing things with awesome trainers, as you know, including yourself. I've seen your posts with them up on your porch, and it's just so funny. And they're like running wild with the, with I think, what was the post you made with your little, um, it was that Mustang that was born at your house, and you said that she thought she was a burrow. That was so yes, cute. Yes. Yes, our baby Mustang. Totally think she's a burrow because, well, now she's a little bit bigger than them, but we have two personal burrows and then three are here right now for training. And yeah, the baby horse thinks that she's a donkey. So every time they're out, they run in a little pack together and they all play together and they just, oh, it's like hysterical. <laughs> and the burrows, like, they sleep all the time, all day. So, like, her, all the burrows are just in a big pile under a tree and then the baby horse goes and joins them and just sleeps with them all the time. It's really cute. <laughs> So, yeah, and they are. They're so smart. So it's like a matter of, like a horse, sometimes you can tell them, like, you have to do this. Like, let's go and you add a little extra pressure and you can make a horse do something. You cannot make a burrow do anything. If they don't want to, there's no way they're doing it. So it's a matter of, yeah, speaking their language, figuring out how to motivate them. And then once they figure it out, they love doing it. They, They love it. That's really good to know. That's actually great information because I think, you know, maybe someone is stuck out there, you know, who might just not realize that it's not them. You know, you just have to learn a little bit more about the burrows and then, you know, you might just unlock the secret to uh, getting your burrow in the trailer or something, you know. Um, but so yeah. you, so you're a tip trainer. Are you a current tip trainer right now for just burrows or do you tip train Mustangs and burrows? I am a tip trainer. I honestly don't tip train that often anymore. I mostly do private clients, um, but I do keep my my membership active just in case you know someone wants a, a tip train horse that I you know is a current client, or if we can go pick one together, I'll do that for people sometimes. Okay, well, very cool, and I'm sure that you have your hands full with your Mustang Club as well, so I actually just want to jump right into that and just tell everybody about your club. What is it? Why did you start it? Like, we want to know everything. Awesome. All right, so, yes, I started what's called the American Competitive Mustang Club, or we call it ACMC a lot of times, and what I have been finding is, so I've been in the Mustang world now seven years. I've done 10 makeovers. I've done over 100 horses, wild horses, and placed in homes, whether that's through private adoption or tip challenges or just trading tip horses. You know, there's over 100 horses I've had my hands on that have found new homes. And what I was finding was after the makeovers and after tip programs, adopters didn't know what to do with their horses because there was nothing for Mustangs. So if you have a quarter horse or a paint or an Arabian or any other breed of horse, you can go to shows, you have clubs, you have a support group of some sort, that, and people, you know, get together and ride and do this and that. And for Mustangs, there was nothing like that. So I wanted to create a Mustang group, a Mustang community of people who would challenge themselves, be able to ask for help if they needed it, 
kind of be given goals to work on their horses. Like, especially when they come out of kit, people are like, cool, I have this fairly, fairly trained horse. How do I move on from that? I'm not a professional trainer. What do I do? And so this is, uh, it kind of started as that of what do you do after you get your horse? And now it's really morphed into showing more, tracking trail miles, tracking training hours, and show points. So it's really cool. We have actually tons of different little things that go on in the club. So I can dive into each of those more in depth if you want me to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also just go over, like, the divisions and, like, who can join what. Like, it, I'm sure there's something for everybody. So if someone wanted to join, like, what divisions would would be suitable for, for people? If you could just, like, go down the list or something. Okay, perfect, yes. So we have our most common um, membership is the competitive member. And so that is $100 a year. And for that, people can track the trail miles. So you just have to use a GPS of any sort or a witness to track your ride. And then you submit your monthly miles of how much you rode per month. So we have the trail riding division. We have what's called the working Mustang division. So people who use their horse or burrow in their, their job. So people who give clinics, people who are cowboys, mounted patrol, um, lessons, therapy programs, things like that. Anything that you derive an income from you can submit your hours and work with your horse. And so we reward that of people who are working really hard with their mustangs and showing them off. And then we have the training hours division. So that is for people to reward them for working with their horse. So anytime you go out to the barn and you work with your horse on something new, this this division is new for 2021 and it's kind of on the honor system, but we, we're going to have you track with like an Equilab app or something that shows how much you're riding and your time with your horse so that's kind of a cool way to reward people just for going out and spending time working on these skills of your horse like training for the virtual shows training for a real event putting time and energy into your mustang so they can be the best horse possible so that's pretty cool and then for our show division this is the one that has the most like you know divisions within it because there's so many things within showing quote-unquote showing is so huge so we have, you know, Western performance, English performance, ranch horse division. We have um, what we call versatility division. So like people who are doing freestyle or roping or things that don't quite fit in the box. But you can go to any show anywhere in the country and perform in any class and will fall into one of our divisions. So let's say you go to uh, an open show, you know, in California and you do uh, Western dressage. That would fall into our Western performance category. Or if you go somewhere and do a mechanical cow class, like lots of our Texan competitors do mechanical cow or working cow type classes, that would fall into our ranch horse division. So we have all sorts of divisions. So whatever you do, it will fall into one of the categories, and then you get points for showing. And then at the quarterly and at the end of the year, our members get awesome prizes based on how many shows they went to. Wow, that's awesome. So it there's literally something for everybody. I mean, there wasn't one thing that you stated there that I was like, oh, well, what about these people? Like, no, you could even just log hours from working. Like, if I were to go out and give a lesson on my Mustang, I could go and log that. And, and then you get recognition and awards for that, right? Yes, exactly. So monthly, we put out a little newsletter to all our members. So it shows, like, 
where everybody's at, like how many hours you've logged compared to everybody else. And then quarterly, we give awards based on the winners in those divisions. And then at the year end, we reward the top 10 in each division. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that is um, so cool. People, like, yeah, we have about 250 members for the 2020 year. And then this year, we're expecting up to about 400, we're hoping for which would be amazing. And then, of course, the more members, the better the prizes. So instead of just the top 10 being rewarded, hopefully it could be the top 20 or break down the divisions even more of, you know, per maybe area in the U.S. or something like that. Yeah, and this is open to anybody, like, all over the place, right? Like, this is a nationwide kind of, like, club. So if you, we live in Arizona, but if someone from Florida wanted to join, they could, right? Absolutely. We have members from 32 states in 2020, which is pretty cool. So our 2021 goal is to hit all 50 states, which would be absolutely amazing. And yeah, you can show from absolutely anywhere and you can, you know, lock your miles or anything. So it's cool that it can be from anywhere in the country. And there is, there is something for everyone. If you're just brand new and just doing in-hand, you can do in-hand classes. If you're on constant walk trotter we don't make you move up if you're not ready for it because you're still doing these shows at your you know your local shows or wherever you want to go you can be at the level that you're comfortable with it doesn't have to be you know oh you have to move up because you want to class we let you stay where you're the most comfortable and track your progress against the other members who are in that same you know comfort zone with you Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense, too, because, you know, a lot of I think a lot of other organizations do that. And then that's where people start to leave the horse show industry because they're just not ready to move up. So this is like a really great at your own pace type of um process that I mean I can get on board with something like that that's amazing and you did actually a virtual show right like not this last month but um pretty recent well we've been doing multiple virtual shows since May actually we've been doing one a month um because of course COVID flipped everything on its head so um previous years we've been doing you know real physical shows in different states and trying to expand out to do you know, must-in-only shows, and last year we were supposed to do five different shows in five different states, and every single one got canceled because of COVID, and so I had all these awards, I already had all these buckles, I had everything planned and ready to go, and I was like, oh my gosh, now I can't use this, what are we going to do? So I came up with the idea for, like, a virtual must-in show, and right kind of at the, we started in May, and at the same time a few others started popping up, which was kind of cool that other people had the same idea. But yeah, now we're running with it, and it was hugely successful. So we have a virtual show every month. The patterns and the rules for each show get posted on the first. And then you have approximately three weeks um, to get your patterns in. What I do is I make the cutoff exactly a week from the last day of the month. You can always just look on the calendar and say, like, this month it ends on the 30th, so the cutoff is on the 24th. So it's a week from the last day of the month that you have to get your videos in. And, yeah, it's really fun. That way you can film whenever you want throughout the month. You can practice the patterns as many times as you want to get them right. And every month we have rotating classes, so you're not stuck doing the same classes over and over. I try to make it a little different every time. So sometimes there's showmanship, sometimes it's trail, sometimes it's ranch riding, sometimes there's freestyle. And I try to make a few classes 
every month to keep it fun and fresh and different ideas and different disciplines and highlight different kind of uh, specialties that people have. So sometimes you have English or discipline rail classes that you are allowed to ride in whatever track you want. So people ride like jump western if they want to, that's totally fine. We allow it. <laughs> or you can ride ranch riding classes in any English rattle if you want. We don't care. <laughs> we just want people to get out and play with their horses and have fun. So that's what the virtual shows are kind of all about. And I try to keep them really cheap, as cheap as possible, and or free to the members to compete in. So they just are working towards goals and think they'll push themselves and their horses a little bit. Yeah. So for anybody listening, if you are looking for a cheap, low-pressure, fun show environment, it seems like the American Competitive Mustang Club is going to be your way to go. And, I mean, just listening to all the different divisions and different classes that you can enter into, I mean, the possibilities are endless. And if you're an English rider who wants to try a Western discipline and you don't have the tack, it's 100% possible. And that's just I mean, absolutely incredible. I don't think you will ever find that in any other show environment, you know, that is so big and well-known. So that's just, you've done an amazing job, Erica. I mean, this is just really like a turning point for the Mustang industry. I mean, people didn't really care about Mustangs. You know, years ago, they, they're they still referred to as, you know, range rats and they're mutts. And I think that giving them purpose and you've done that. I mean, you've given another purpose for them and that's just incredible. So if people want to join, which I'm hoping that they do because I want to join now. I've, I've done a few of your shows before, um, but, you know, I just haven't really been super involved. And now I'm super motivated to go and get involved which is why I wanted to interview you. Um, how can people do that? Where do they go? I'm sure you have a website um, and a Facebook page. Where can they go to sign up? Yes. Yeah, so if you just want to sign up, the, our website is super simple, but it works perfect. It's acmcevents.com. And on there, it's you can either enter your email address to get our like updates. We don't spam anyone, and we, hard, we don't email very often just for important things. Um, and then right on there it says click here to download your membership application or you can just select which membership you want and enter all your information there. You can either pay via PayPal, which the instructions are right on the membership application, or you can click through and pay with any card when you select your membership. So I try to make the website as simple as possible. I am much more of a Facebook girl. I'm not very techie, so I do Facebook more than information on the website. So on our Facebook page, is where you'll find all the highlights of our members. We do, like, member spotlight type things. And all, I always am updating them. Who's doing what? Who's being rewarded for what? How how we are rewarding our members? What activities we're hosting? Um, on our Facebook page, we also have free events that anyone could do. So sometimes we call it the free and fun class. Like, a couple of weeks ago, we did what's called, like, an apple toss video. It was super cute of, like, our members from all over the country, like, pretended that they were tossing and, like, catching an apple and then tossing it to someone else. And then one of our members put the video all together. It was super cute. So it went from, like, one side of the country, all, the apple went from one side of the country all the way to the other side of the country. It was adorable. So, like, that's on there. We always do just fun things like that just to get people involved in playing with their horse. And we just want people that enjoy their Mustang, enjoy each other's company, and get out and work with your horse so they're not, not just sitting in the backyard being, you know, a range rat. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so is there anything else, I mean, besides anything that we've covered that you just want to go over about the club for anybody that's interested, or do you think we have it pretty well covered? Um, oh, I want to say one more thing. So every, the previous two years, we've entered all of our show points and our trail miles and whatnot just by hand, and people email it to me to submit it. But we are in the process of having an app done. It is almost done. And so at that point, it will be a free app in the App Store that you can download and you can enter your, your horses into it. And then it would be so easy to just say, I'm going on a trail ride, and you click the button, and it will track your trail. And then you just submit it to me via the app. So we can't wait to have that, like, technology in the horse world. And um, you'll be able to enter your virtual show straight from the app as well. So you'll just, like, click virtual show. I'm entering showmanship, and you'll upload your YouTube video straight to the app. Which will be awesome. Yeah, that. Every, yeah, it'll be so cool. And you'll be able to watch everybody in your class. Their videos will be uploaded right to the same thing. So I can't wait. Yeah, that is so cool. I mean, you're going to have your own app. I will be there. I'm going to download it. I cannot wait for that. That is going to be so yeah. cool. I mean, it's it's like a Mustang app. There is nothing that exists that is like that. So, I mean, again, again, you're doing amazing, amazing work with your club and um, with your new app that is going to be coming out, too. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I can't wait. I, I'm really excited. I am, like, 100% the outdoor girl, but I'm working on this technology stuff and trying to be on the cutting edge of that, too. Yeah. So, um, kind of going off topic here, um, but I wanted to ask you, I had been following your stories on Facebook, because we're friends on Facebook, and I saw that you had trained these four mares for, um, if listeners don't know who I'm talking about, there's this young girl, um, her name is Iris, and she goes by Iris the Nomad, and she had these four Mustangs trained by Erica, um, and Erica's gonna go way more into detail because I don't know that much about it, but she wanted to go on, like, this long journey with these horses across the U.S., right? Yes, yes, very exciting, very cool. Yeah, so tell us more about that. Okay, so I'll start at the beginning. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I had seen a post where a girl, like, this girl said, oh, does anyone out there train, or can I go pick a Mustang up at Corral's? And I want to do some packing with my horses. And, like, nobody had really responded to her. And I was like, well, hey, I'm over here. I'll go to the trials. Like, tell me more about you. And we, it started off with first, like, three or four long, hour-long conversations on the phone. And I found out she is actually from the Netherlands, but she lives in Canada. And she has this dream to go on a 3,000-mile ride across the U.S. So she has been working on visas and planning and all this for, like, years already. Uh, but she was, like, ready for her horses and wanted someone who knew what they were doing to kind of take her through the whole process. And we went in depth of should we get mares or geldings and what size and from what corral and from what herd. And, all the, like, it was just tons and tons of planning to even get her there. So what we decided on was we were going to go to Ridgecrest, California, because they had the Nevada Wild Horse Range horses in and they've been known to be very sensible and also pretty good at like endurance settings like they can walk over a lot of terrain for a lot of miles uh they're really good really sure-footed and usually they got quite a bit of brains on them so they're easier quote-unquote to train but <laughs> also sensible so that's kind of how the journey started was 
picking her horses, which we picked up in December. So she she and I picked them up together, and they went through the chip program, which is awesome. And they also went through, actually, Annie McDermott here in Arizona, her storefront. So we thought it was really cool that actually we utilized, like, three different things that the BLM slash Mustang Heritage program put out. So, like, we utilized the crowds to pick the horses, we utilized the storefront, and then she utilized the tip program, which is really awesome we got to use all of those. And um, so then we worked on starting to train them all. They were all originally going to be in training for about six months. And then Iris was going to leave straight from our house on our trip. So that was the original plan. But 2020 has other plans for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> the first big setback was when about a month in, they had been halter broke and I was about to start, you know, getting them. Uh, in a bridle and start riding and we had the vet out and accidentally they had all been age drawn so instead of four and five years old they were all two and a half or three years old oh wow well two and a half and three year olds can't go on a three thousand mile ride there's just no way they're not mentally there they're not physically there they shouldn't even barely be ridden so already that was a huge setback so iris and i decided that you know i'll just Start them fairly in the saddle, give them a, a little education, but then she will take them to Canada and practice for a year and then take them on the ride. So that was our plan instead. So I got the, I got three of them under saddle going really good. And one was like, I am a wild horse. I, this is not okay. So we just <laughs> kind of put her on the back burner and let her chill here instead of really focusing on her. She, she got out daily and got groomed daily and interacted with, but I was like, nope, we don't need this, you know, wild child running around and putting our time and energy into her when it's going to be a full year anyway before she even go. Mm-hmm. So really instead of, you know, teaching them all the skills of packing and camping and everything, they just had a basic start under saddle. And then she was going to come get them still in April. Well, COVID shut all the borders down and so poor Iris was stuck in Canada without horses and I was stuck here with four horses that couldn't move to Canada. So that was the twenty twenty number two. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally around July, um the borders opened for like this one week period. And we were like, Yes, okay, we're gonna get Iris for horses. And then here in Arizona there was a horrible disease called VS in which horses were not allowed to be exported to Canada at all. So I was to finally come down, but her horses could not leave the state because of this disease going around. So that was huge, huge obstacle number three, in which we rectified by actually um, moving the horses to Utah for the 14 days that they were required to quarantine there. And then they got to go all the way to Canada. So now Iris has had them, and she's doing... Awesome. She takes two at a time out for practice runs um, to just get them used to packing and camping and riding and getting used to her wild horses and they're growing muscle and getting in shape. And in approximately a year, hopefully, she's going to take two at a time now instead of four at a time. So she'll ride one and pack one, and the other two, the younger two, will stay at home at first. And then every three months, she's going to switch horses. Or if one happens to get injured or too tired or lose weight or anything, then she'll be able to switch a horse out on this crazy crap trip. So, yeah, she is still planning on her 3,000 miles. Um, Basically, she's going to go from Montana 
down to Arizona, then from Arizona over to California and hit the Pacific Crest Trail, go up the Pacific Crest Trail to Washington, and then back over to Montana. That's the loop that she's planning now, and that will take a little over a year to do. Wow. That's incredible. So she does, her Facebook page is called Iris the Nomad, I believe. Yes. Yeah, so if anyone's interested in following her journey, I think you can just search on Facebook, Iris the Nomad. Um, Iris is spelled I-R-I-S, so just look that up and follow her page. And I've seen some videos of her packing those two um, mares along, and then I don't know if I've seen all four being packed out, but I do remember seeing one video, and I was like, wow, look at her go. I remember when you guys had first got them, and, um, you know, where she was here in Arizona with you guys for a time working with them and stuff, so that's so cool. Yeah, she got to spend two weeks when we first got them. It was like a week when we first got them with us. And then when she finally got them, we spent a week together. We actually did a little road trip with her to help her get all the way to Canada with the horses. So that was nice. So we got to spend time with her and the horses. And we traveled up in a little caravan uh, together just in case. Because, you know, she had, she's a very much an adventurer. She's a backpacker and a hiker. She's completely learned farrier skills, so she knows how to take care of them. Um, she's been on her own, like, out in the bush in Australia. I think she said she's been to over 20 countries and then, like, backpacking and life survival skills. So she has got the skills to be in the wild. But she's never owned horses before, so, like, she's never pulled a trailer before. She's never camped with horses before, so we got to go over all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, which is it's really awesome. And, yeah, their names are a little funny and confusing, so it's Freya. Senia, Vina, and Zula. And still to this day, I get them mixed up because they all look exactly the same. <laughs> and I get them all scrambled up. But Senia um, is the youngest, but she is also the one who's Iris' favorite. She was very easy, easygoing, just super, super mellow, and she's really tall. So she's the best riding horse. Mm-hmm. And then Vina was my very favorite. She's like a little kid's pony. So she was really fun to ride, and she's also pretty good at packing. And then there's Finya, who is, I call her like an Arabian because she's really smart and she's really sassy, but she's a fantastic go all day, very brave horse. So right now she's been packing the most because she's so sure-footed and she doesn't really care about anything, but she'll just follow along all day and be really great. And then Zola is the one who was a little sketchy and she's finally starting to come around. And actually, like, two weeks ago, I think, the first kind of accident on trail happened where Freya, the best one, she was packing, and Zola, the skittish one, was being led, and Senya actually fell over a boulder and kind of down in the basement and got really hurt. And so Zola had to step up with no real training whatsoever. She's had to pack on a few times, but never had to pack supplies anywhere, especially for any distance. And Iris had to put the packs on her because Freya was injured and she did absolutely amazing and got all the stuff out, stayed super calm. And then once the vet checked the both of them out just to make sure they're okay, then he couldn't, he kept saying, I guess like, oh my gosh, I can't believe these are Muslims. I can't believe they're so young. They're so well behaved. They're so good. They're so good. So we really did pick four really, really good horses for her trip. But Noah was just the one who's taking a little longer to come around, but she's getting there. That's awesome. Yeah, look at her coming up. She's She was like, you know what? This is my moment to shine. <laughs> so that's exactly. amazing. That's what, uh, yeah, I was so happy when she took because she's like, oh, Zola had to pack out. I was like, oh, my God. 
Awesome. So, um, you, so what, how long did it take for all four of the horses to be at the point where you guys were ready for, um, Iris to take them? Cause I know that obviously they were with you longer than anticipated because of all your guys' unfortunate coronavirus, uh, coronavirus <laughs> events. Um, so how long was it until you guys felt that they were actually ready? Well, originally it was going to be six months, and that was going to be packing and riding Mm -hmm. for all of them. But what actually ended up happening was about 30 days in the TIP program, being halter broke, and then I did 60 days under saddle with the three. And then the fourth, we just dropped off. Because once we knew that they were so young, both of us agreed that we didn't want to push a three-year-old that hard and that far. So I did 60 days of what I call a basic start of just, you know, you can safely mount, you can safely go walk truck canter in the arena, you can walk over some obstacles, you can walk down the road, and they're not going to freak out. But it wasn't, like, hard pushing, we didn't condition on the trail. I actually, I stopped doing the pack work whatsoever because I knew it was going to be so far out and that was something she could do on her own. So they had 30 days of, of on the ground and 60 days of in the saddle. Cool. And so... They, and they just... Yeah, and they hung out for, uh, what, three or four more months. Yeah, so. <laughs> they were just chilling back there. They're like, all righty, we've yeah. been ready for a good while now. <laughs> yeah, oh exactly. Gosh. That's what I kept saying when she came down. I was like, you know, I have no idea. Like, I don't know what 90 days of work and then more than 90 days off is going to do for such young horses. But they just, the moment she got here, it, it took like two days of round time work and all of them were, boom, ready to build. Yeah, Perfect. So, that's great. Yeah, I was really happy. So when you guys picked them up, there's a lot of controversy around this specific topic. Everybody does it differently. I mean, it's do you halter or do you not halter at pickup? So for those horses, what did you guys decide to do? So those ones specifically, we did not halter at pickup because we were uh, utilizing any storefront. So they actually went on a load with like 16 horses. Mm-hmm. So no halters when there's that many. But at Annie's house has a shoot so when i personally pick them up we put halters on but not lead ropes okay um, i usually well it, it depends of what uh what the situation is for the horse that i'm doing if i put a halter and lead on or not if it is a makeover or a horse that i need out real soon i put a halter and lead rope on it at pickup and i get to work that day that they get home and by the end of the day or at the latest by the next day that halter and leader up should be off because I should be able to catch them whenever I want. Mm-hmm. If I have a project horse that doesn't really have a time frame, so let's say right now I have a mare that has a foal, she, she's what I call a project horse. We adopted her solely for the purpose because I wanted to experience a foal, but I didn't want to breed a mare. And I wanted a fun, cute project to have. And so when the baby's weaned, she'll be sold. But we picked her up without a halter because there is no time frame. So she's never been in quote-unquote training, but now she'll walk up to me and I can pet her and everything, but that's been months. So if I don't have really a time frame on anything, I just let them be a horse and I don't care and I don't hold her and I just let them investigate me on their own. But if I'm in a competition 
I have to get a horse out right away. I put a halter leader up on and just get to work right away. And what about, like, the tags? Do you do tag on or off? Oh, I, this is one of my favorite things. I think I'm like most of the makeover trainers where the moment I take the tag off, but the moment the tag comes off is when they get their name. So I try not to name them before they have a, a you know, their tag off. Because then you kind of know their personality a little bit. So I like to be allowed to leave the tag on, and then that's kind of our first milestone is pulling the tag off and giving them the name. Yeah, and those are always fun, too, because then, like, you have, whenever you post on Facebook, you know, your friends are always wondering, oh, my gosh, what's their name going to be? Or, you know, they throw out suggestions and stuff. I think that's always fun to, like, kind of see a horse first, and then when the name is finally revealed, it's like, ah, yeah, that fits them pretty well. Um, so that's yeah. that's cool. Yeah, I am... Um, I personally just ask, uh, just because a lot of people don't know what to do, you know, especially first-time adopters, they're not sure, they hear a lot of different opinions from different trainers, and I mean, all I can say from personal experience is if you have a, uh, you know, proven and safe round pen or corral for your horse, there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to put a halter and keep the tag on until the horse gets home. Because, I mean, that's that has happened to people, you know, who have left the tags on and a horse, I mean, the Mustang would get the neck tag caught up and then, you know, they strangle themselves. So it's like, um, I think it just yeah. depends on you have to know how safe your facility really is. And also, I think it depends on the horse too. I had this one Mustang come through here. He was just super super wild I mean his thresholds were bigger than my round pen and I have a 55 foot you know round pen so I mean I oh should God. have yeah I should have taken the tag off because he ended up having to go to a sanctuary we never got the tag off so um, oh, no. oh yeah. yeah so it's still on him to this day we're hoping that either another horse will get it off or um, I think they're hoping to get a shoot at some point and they're going to run him through the shoot and cut it off but yeah I think it depends on a lot of different things so your insight is very helpful I think to anybody who's just not sure so yeah I, th I think I guess what I would say if you are if you're not a trainer especially if you're not in a competition or don't have a timeline like I probably would not put a halter on especially I, I get called out a lot of oh my Mustang is lame oh but it's wild oh but it still has this halter and drag rope on but the people have never like really worked with them and in that sort of case, I would I would not recommend for people. If you're like, no, we're just, you know, we're doing the, sit in the crowd for a while, let them come up to you, I wouldn't leave a halter on at that point. No way. I would just, you know, do it slow, go if you want to go that way. Um, I've actually had, I trained a deal and mule a few years ago that was adopted, they put the halter on, and then instead of working with it, they turned out in a pasture. So seven years later, it came to me as a rescue, and the halter was embedded in her face. Oh so not only gosh. now, she's a... A 10-year-old mule who's never been touched, but now she hurts, and you can't do anything with her because her face hurts, so you can't have a halter on. Like, so, in that sort of situation, I know people mean well. Like, those those people just thought they were giving a nice mule a home, you know, but it can be disastrous when it doesn't go right. So, I definitely suggest to people to think ahead of what your situation is. How much time are you going to have to work with the horse? How much skills do you have? Can you get this? halter on and off. I know my skills, even if the horse isn't really tame, if I need to, I can get the halter off or on, probably within an hour if I was really pushing, so. Yeah. You know. Well, well that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
So. Yeah, absolutely. And get advice, too, from people who know. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't just, you know, go into it thinking you know you can plan ahead because it's a wild animal. It's unpredictable. I mean, you just need to be prepared for any scenario and you need to know what's going to be best for you and your horse. Absolutely. So I think everything Erica has said is just spot on. Um, I think a common struggle that people also have when looking for a Mustang or a burrow in general is just knowing what to look for in a wild horse. So what advice could you give about that? I mean, picking out a completely wild horse. Don't look at color. <laughs> please, please, <laughs> doctor. It doesn't matter what color they are. <laughs> so, I have probably, oh my gosh, gone back and forth on this situation so many times because people see a pretty one, quote unquote, and they want it no matter what, no matter what its personality is or how hard it is. And beautiful, sweet, gentle little bay or little sorrel will be sitting there like wanting love and nobody wants it. Or yeah. maybe it's got a big, big, ugly Roman nose. Or I had one who was 10 years old, I pulled for tip, with one eye. And he was the sweetest, kindest, gentlest horse. And he sat at my house for like six months. Like I had to get two extensions because nobody wanted a one-eyed horse. And I was like, guys, he's so amazing. Like he's awesome. And just look past the physical sometimes, but it's just to pick a good horse. And definitely talk to the trip trainer. Don't be pushed into, like, adopting one because they say there's a whole line of those people. I think I hear a lot of times, or I get a lot of uh, quote-unquote problem horses who have been pushed through the tip program but maybe not fully done, and the adopter takes them, but then they, they can't culture them, they can't pick up their feet, they can't care for them. And say, oh, well, I didn't know what I was doing, so I just signed the form. Well, that's like starting to create a system of really tough horses, and it ends up costing the adopters a lot of money when the tip trainer shouldn't be kind of doing their job. So make sure you really, really talk to your tip trainer. All the good ones are going to spend as much time as you need to make sure that you're comfortable. Go visit your horse before if you can. Get videos of your horse doing the skills. Do make sure you handle the horse before you adopt it. I think those are all really, really important things. Um, for adopters, especially in the tip program. Now, if you're just going to the corrals to pick a wild one, try to take someone with you if they know or ask the BLM for advice, like what herds are a little easier, what ones are easier in a shoot when you handle them, see if they have any recommendations, because they always know which ones are a little easier and a little rougher. So, I would say just talk to the experts and really ask for advice instead of going, oh, Pinto, perfect! And I know I'm... <laughs> I'm kind of a hypocrite since there's like four pintos staring at me right now. But <laughs> all of my pintos have been free because they've been problem horses and I've fixed them up. So, you know, at the same time, huh? I, I get to take credit for that. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I have a type. I, I'm the kind of, um, I'm a sorrel horse with three white, three or four white socks and a blaze. All of my horses look like my, uh, heart horse, quote unquote, you know, heart horse, whatever. Uh, Lana, every yeah. time I go to the crowds and I look for a horse, I'm always looking for another Lana and it's so bad, oh. but like, I'm just like addicted to sorrel mares. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. So. Oh, it is. It's hard to get sucked in. Like, I love pintos, especially I grew up, like I said, in the paint world. Like, I love a pretty color, too, but some of my best makeover horses have been plain brown, and they just have so much heart, and they're so 
They could be so, so good. And I kind of love the irises. She picked, she was insistent with it all plain. So all of hers are either plain bay or plain floral. Nothing fancy at all. I think the one has one white sock. But she was like, no, I want to show that a mare, that people always say mares are so bad, can do everything any other horse can. And she's like, I want to pick the plainest one because I want the plain horse to do an amazing thing. I think that's so cool that she did that. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, like that's just so cute. I just love all of her horses so much. And just the fact that that's the reason behind her picking her plain, you know, sorrels and plain bays is just, I think it speaks on your character, truly. I mean, the kind of horse that you pick out for yourself. I feel like Mustangs are so much more of a mirror into the kind of person you are than you can really see with any other horses because they are a blank slate, you know. So however they turn out or what their future looks like, you know, depends solely on you because, you know, nobody really wants these horses and it's really sad because they're so amazing. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're just, I don't know, I get so emotional about them. They're just such, they're an emotional animal to really work with if you really think about it. I mean, a lot of blood sweat and tears goes into training them and I think people look past that you know and they don't really understand um it's a you know it's a completely wild animal and they're trying to come into our way of life and we're trying to teach them how to you know um what's the word um like accumulate or you know adapt that's the word how to adapt into domestication and stuff so um I don't know I just Absolutely. I'm with you there. Every time, the first touch on every horse, I cry. I can't help it. It's just like, <laughs> I'll, I'll be working, 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 and you're like, focus, 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 and then boop, they boop your hand, and I break down in tears every single time. Aww. And every time, the first try, I'll be like, this time I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And the moment they, like, step off, and they're perfect, I'm just like, oh, I'm solving again. I can't help it, so... I always cry because I'm stupid. You <laughs> get so emotional those two times, and then I think every makeover horse during the freestyle, I think I've cried. <laughs> if you look at my pictures, I'll be like, "Seeing this awesome freestyle," but if you see up close, there's like tears showing running in my face. Oh like, my gosh! They freaking give you so much. Like it's, it blows my mind. Of like, especially makeovers when you have a hundred days, and this horse is totally wild, and you're. In this huge arena in Texas with this cheering crowd and all these crazy props and these all these crazy tricks and this horse is doing it and I'm just like, It's too much. This is just crazy. I can't believe we have this connection every every time. Yeah. I just lose it. Because it's so it's so amazing. It's like the best feeling ever. And uh yeah, I think I, I had kind of a I didn't do a makeover with my Mare Seneca, but we went through a lot of crazy stuff with her because she came to me with a broken jaw. I don't know if people have followed that story, but she came from South Dean's Oregon, and her tail had been bitten off in the wild, and she had this horrible broken jaw. That, so we had to gentle her, but you couldn't use a halter because the jaw was broken. And so trying to gentle a horse enough to go to the vet took forever without using a halter on her. And then after we finally got her there, she had five surgeries to fix this jaw because it was so messed up. And this summer was really the first time I got a rider, and we took her up to Washington from Arizona because it's so hot here. And went trail riding back in Chelsea's where she was born. And as we're like riding through her homeland, and she's so perfect and so amazing, and she's so excited to be there. She totally knew where she was at. And I totally lost it then, too. And it was on my birthday. So I was like a big ball of emotion <laughs> all day long. <laughs> it was so magical and so amazing, but it was really fun. 
Yeah, that's amazing. And the photos you shared were beautiful where, where she was from. I mean, that's that's where her herd was um, was gathered from, correct? I mean, you, I think you had pictures or yeah. something of her out in the wild in yeah. that terrain. There is, yeah. I have. She was pretty well documented, and so there's lots of pictures of her being born, but there's a one specific picture that was, like, her, her mom, her dad, and her half-sister all in this watering hole, and we totally found the watering hole, and there was footprints all around it, so they had just been there, and her mom and dad are still out on the range, and we I mean, knew horses had just been there, and she was just looking everywhere, like, I know I'm home, I know I'm home, like, she knew where she was at, and then the moment I, like, let her go into the water, she, like, jumped into the pond and just was, like, rolling and splashing and having so much fun, like, I've never seen a horse have so much fun in the water, and, like, it was so cool, I swear, she knew exactly where she was, she was, it was just a magical moment, it was really cool. That is so incredible. Yeah, I was kind of hoping we'd see her family, her band, but at the same time, I was like, I don't want my horse to run away. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much, Erica, for being on the show and like sharing all the information about your uh, club, your Mustang club. And are there any events coming up? I think there's one in October in conjunction with the tip challenge you might want to touch on. Yes, so we finally get to have a physical show again. <laughs> so here in Arizona. It will be the second week of October at the um, Welcome Home Range in Gilbert, Arizona. We're doing an open show along with the challenge that Annie McDermott put on. So it's going to be really fun. And then events that we have for everybody else who's not in Arizona, we're still going to be doing virtual shows. And uh, we're going to do every three months will be a, a series, a buckle series. So October, November, December, those three months accumulated will win a buckle. And then January, February, March, we'll earn a buckle and so on for the rest of the year. So we've had tons of entries um, for those. Every time we get 16 or more people in a class, we split the class. So they're not like enormous classes. You have a total chance against everyone. And we added more divisions because, you know, watch that canter division. We had some amazing, amazing professional riders. We were kind of uh, kicking everyone's butt. So now we added a watch rock canter uh open class and a watch out canter advanced only class so that way the normal riders quote unquote can have a chance to win a buckle field <laughs> <laughs> well awesome and okay we also, yeah yeah i can't wait so it'll be really fun okay and the website again one more time so where people can go and sign up you can sign up at acmcevents.com or find us on facebook or instagram which is american competitive mustang club Okay, well, you guys all heard it. Remember the website, acmcevents.com, correct? All right. Yeah, okay, well, thank you so much, Erica, for being on the show again. And um, I look forward to seeing you in October because I'll be there for the tip challenge. So, um, awesome. yeah, all righty. Well, I, I'm going to wrap. I can't wait. And I wish you huge, huge success with your podcast. I think this is definitely a need for people in the wrestling world, too pass on information because we all get asked the same questions over and over I think this is an amazing idea and I think you're going to kill it so thank you for hosting this I appreciate it <laughs> thank you so much well that motivates me to uh, do a good job <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to do my best thank you. All right. I appreciate it have a good one alrighty you have a good one too Erica okay, bye bye 
Before we go, I just have a quick announcement about joining my podcast discussion forum on Facebook. The page is called Abby and the Mustangs Podcast Discussion Forum. It's a group anyone can join. There will be a few questions you'll have to answer before being accepted into the group, but it's open to any type of Mustang or Barrow discussion or related topic, not just topics that are spoken about on this podcast. But please feel free to go on the page, ask any questions about anything you've heard in this podcast episode or any future episodes, and we'll be sure to get right back to you and just interact with other members and show your Mustang off, share some stories that you have, your success stories. We want to hear from you. This is going to be a very interactive podcast, so you might get the opportunity to have your Mustang success story featured on this podcast. Thank you all for listening. If you're interested in adopting a Mustang or Burrow or are looking for resources, please visit blm.gov programs and select the Wild Horse and Burrow column to learn more. If you are not in the position to adopt, please share this podcast with a friend and start a conversation. If you would like to donate to our Wild Horses and Burrows, please visit mustangheritagefoundation.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. Thank you.